0: This morning, we're continuing our road trip through the book of Acts, and today we're stopping with Paul in the city of Athens. We'll be reading from Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 22. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. <clears throat> so again, Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. My God has overlooked the times of human ignorance. Now God commands all people everywhere to repent because God has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed. But others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined and became believers, including Dionysus, the Aragopite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a few weeks ago, on Palm Sunday afternoon, after church was over, I got the chance to do a little yard work in my front yard. Now let me stop right here and say that if you drive by my house this afternoon, you're going to think that I haven't done any yard work. I promise you I have. Take my word for it. I was out in the front yard cutting some of the azaleas and I was... Uh, cleaning out some of the gutters. And while I was out there cleaning, a group of students came walking through my neighborhood. They were actually from a youth group of another church here in town. They came up to me and asked me if they could invite me to their Easter worship service. I stopped and said, that's very nice of you. They didn't ask if I went to church. They didn't ask if I was a minister. They just invited me to worship on Easter. I thought that was very nice. Then they asked me if they could share their faith with me. Now, let me tell you, I don't need much of an excuse to pause my yard work, any excuse at all. I have, and so I said, I will give you as much time as you like. So for a few moments, these students pulled out a little book and showed me their understanding of sin and our need for God, our need for salvation, and our need for Jesus Christ. And then after those few moments, they prayed for me, and then they kept walking down the road, heading to my neighbor's house next door. Now, there's no doubt that a lot of their theology was a little bit different than mine. They described their faith in a little different way than I would describe it. But I will tell you, I left impressed by these students, impressed by their willingness to, to take a leap of faith, to go out and speak to a stranger and tell that stranger what they believed about Jesus Christ. I was impressed by this because probably when I was their age, I would not have had the courage to go up to a complete stranger and share my faith with them, to evangelize, as it were, which means simply share the good news. In fact, I don't know many Presbyterians, Uh, sidewise, that would describe themselves as evangelists. That word has lots of different connotations for us, that we as Presbyterians, prim and proper, who come from this heritage of Scottish reservedness, we don't like to think of ourselves as evangelists in the same way that we see those people on TV. In fact, many of us are not comfortable with that, in fact. We like to share our faith in the friendly confines of a Sunday school class or share our faith with close personal relationships, which I think are all well and good things to do, to trust that the Holy Spirit is speaking even when we are not. But that does not remove us from the fact that we are called to be evangelists. We are called to go out into the world to make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus calls the disciples to do. And when we sing every Christmas, go tell it on the mountain, we are calling ourselves to go out into the world and share the good news. Share the good news of the gospel with others. Well, if you are like me, that might make you a little uncomfortable. But the good news this morning is Paul, in our passage, is a very good evangelist. In fact, he spent his entire life, his entire career, sharing the good news of the gospel with people all over the Mediterranean. And maybe if we read a little bit about Paul's journey through the book of Acts, we can pick up a few tips about how we can be better evangelists too. Paul went all over the Mediterranean, places like Corinth, places like Philippi, to the region of Galatia, places all over where most of the time he would go and start at the synagogue, but then after the synagogue would reject him, he would go out to the community and just simply share his faith of the risen Christ with those people around him. And many people believed all because of Paul's boldness, all because of Paul's courage, all because of Paul's leap of faith. But the city of Athens was a different story. Now, Athens has quite a reputation. It was a place, a center of learning, a center of philosophy, a center of debate, a center of politics for centuries. After all, Athens was the place where uh, Plato and Socrates were called home. It was a place where people came from all over to not only experience art and literature, but to sit and debate different ideas, to to talk and and vet different ideas with each other. And so Paul found himself in Athens and tried to, to preach that same gospel to the people of Athens. But when he got there, he discovered something unsettling, the scripture says, unsettling to him, that the city of Athens was full of idols. Along with art and literature of politics and philosophy, the city of Athens was full of people of all different kinds of religions, all different kind of beliefs and ideas. In fact, the people of Athens, some of them had their own little gods that they had created, that they put up on their shelves and created as shrines, and they would go to these shrines and pray to them and ask gods for help anytime they needed that God. It was like that little shrine was there at their beck and call. The city was full of idols and In fact, historians would say that you could walk down the street in Athens and you would come across a god before you would come across another human being. There were idols everywhere. It was a city full of gods, but as Paul would say, empty of faith. And when we look around our world today, I would say our world is not that different than Athens We've come to a point in our history where people have tried to dec- have decided that faith is very personal to each of us. It's not communable, pu- cum- excuse me, communal, but personal. That we have created our own gods in our own ways. Gods that we can keep in our pockets. Gods that we can put on our shelves that are there at our beck and call. Almost like a genie that we can go to when we need help, but then we can ignore when we want to follow our own will. There are idols of all kinds, things that we think will give our lives meaning, things that will give our lives purpose, things like money and power, that money that we can keep in our pocket and do whatever we want to with, but other idols as well, idols of, of our own self-worth and our own beauty, idols of, of, of gods that simply serve us rather than calling us to serve. We love to have gods like this who follow us around, rather than gods that call us to follow. Just like a a god that we put up on the shelf, or a god that we put in our pocket. Those gods are hollow. This time of year, I always go back to my childhood and think about walking around at night, just about dusk time, when those fireflies, those lightning bugs, come out. My brother and I used to love to, to catch those fireflies, those lightning bugs, and, and hold them up and look at them. We would run across the yard when we would see one blinking and grab one and bring it back. And pretty soon after seeing a few, we would holler at our parents and say, bring us out a pickle jar so we can catch some of these lightning bugs and keep them in a jar. We would try our best to to make it a habitable uh, jar for those lightning bugs. we put little twigs and grass in there, put holes in the top of the jar so that we could take those lightning bugs and put them down in the jar and screw the lid on tight. We wanted to keep those little bugs right to ourselves so that we could see them blinking. But if you've ever done that, you know, you can't keep it in the jar for too long. If you keep it there for too long, those little bugs will die. And so soon we learned that the best way to enjoy those bugs was to let them free, to watch them out in the world, living and moving and blinking and shining that little light in the darkness. The same is true for our God. God is not meant to be put into our pocket. God is not meant to be put up on our shelf. Our faith is not something that we have. Our faith is something that should have us that we follow out into the world. Paul told the people of Athens, you're missing the point. You're missing this God that has called you by name. You're missing this God that is not dead in the tomb, but is alive in the world. And he called Athens to new life. Now you can see from Scripture what happens. The people of Athens thought Paul was a troublemaker. In fact, they take him to this great council, the Aeropolis or the Aragopolis that's there on the top of the hill. Basically what that was was a, a council of the wisest people in, in Athens, the, the, people, the Epicureans and the Stoics of, at the time who were sort of like the grand jury or the grand council who vetted these new ideas and tried to decide if they were dangerous or not. Socrates had had to come before the same council many years earlier, and he was sentenced to death because of his ideas. And so now Paul found himself in front of this same group of people, trying to defend his faith, defend his ideas to this group of thinkers. But it's then, in front of all these wise minds, that Paul changes his tactics a little bit. Instead of pulling out a cross and showing them his ideas of Jesus, instead of quoting scripture to them, scripture that they may not have even heard of, he looks at them with new eyes. He sees all of those idols and doesn't think of their sinfulness, but he thinks of something deeper. He sees the yearning of the people of Athens. The yearning for something more. We all have that yearning in our lives for something more, for something greater. That yearning to find meaning, that yearning to find purpose, that yearning to find hope, that yearning to find help, that yearning to find direction, that yearning to find out that we matter after all. He told those Athenians that all these idols are just signs that you are yearning and searching for something greater. All of us have that yearning, even us today. Years ago, my good friend Ed Anderson shared a story from his childhood about that yearning in his own life. He and his friends who grew up long before television sets, long before telephones or at least cell phones, he and his friends would entertain themselves by by creating little plays in their own backyard and inviting their neighbors to the plays. They would come and spend time together as children coming up with scripts and building sets and coming up with costumes, and, and then they would put these plays on for all the people in their neighborhood. It was a fun, enjoyable thing for them, but some of the people in the neighborhood loved it, but there were a few people that thought it was annoying. In fact, Ede remembered one young three-year-old named Abby. That Every time they would put on a play, Abby just could not sit in her seat. She would squirm around and look at other things. She would throw rocks in the street. She would take some of the materials they had used to build the sets and color and draw on her own. It's almost so distracting for the the actors themselves. Finally, after the play was over, Ede would go up to Abby and say, Abby, what did you think about the play? And all Abby would do is pick up a rock and say, I colored too. You see, Abby didn't want to be in the audience. Abby wanted to be a part of the play. She wanted people to know that she mattered, that she was a part of the story, that she was not just a bystander, but that this world and this life that she lived in, she had people who knew that she was loved and valued, that she mattered. All of us have that deep yearning within us to know that we matter to someone greater than ourselves, that know that we matter, sure, to our friends and to our family, that know that this life that we live, that it has meaning and value and purpose. And then Paul does something incredible here. He doesn't Point back to the God that he has in his pocket, like some proprietary evangelist who is saying, I have something that you don't have. No, instead, he points to the God who is already there. He points to that shrine over there that says, The Unknown God. He says, That's the God that has called you by name. That's the God that matters. It's not the God you can put in your pocket, it's not the God you can put on your shelf. It's the God that is loose in the world. The God that you don't, can't combine and can't put in a jar. It's not the God that you can keep and, and put in your pocket and call on when you want to. It's the God that calls on you daily, calling you by name, leading you, guiding you in this world. It's that God that's been here every single day even though you did not know that God by name. That's a different kind of evangelism. Rather than taking God out into a world where God is absent, it's going out into the world and pointing out the God who's already at work, the God who's already out there feeding hungry people. The God who's already out there healing those people who are sick. The God who is already out there showing compassion to those people in need. The God that is already at work. That's what evangelism is. It's not taking something to people that they've never seen before. It's pointing to the God who has been with them the whole time. I'll give you a little example of that. A great Christian author, Rob Bell, once told a story in one of his books about performing a a wedding ceremony for two friends of his. They were doing some premarital counseling and talking about what they wanted in the service. And in the middle of this premarital counseling, they said something along the lines of, now, Rob, when you're doing the sermon, don't talk about God during the sermon. This happens actually a lot to us preachers when we're doing weddings and funerals. Don't talk too much about God. We might make people uncomfortable. But instead of being judgmental, Rob was curious. He looked back at them and said, well, tell me something. We're having this wonderful service outside in nature. Tell me why you want to do it out there. And after talking with them and understanding a little bit more about their understanding of the world, they said it's out here in nature where we recognize that there's something Something that's holding all of this together. And Rob paused and said, do you think that's something that's holding this world together? Is that something that also called you two together? To be faithful to each other. And they realized maybe, just maybe there was something. Something unknown that they can't put their finger on. Something unknown that they can't put in their pocket. Something unknown that they can't put on the shelf. But, Something that has always been there. Something that will always be there. Something that they couldn't grasp in their hands, but something that had a hold on them. That's evangelism. Pointing to the God around us that has been with us since the beginning of time and will be with us long after we're gone. That's evangelism pointing to the God within whom we live and we move and have our being. The God who we live and move and have our meaning. Can you do that? Can you go out into the world and point to the God who is already there? Can you point to the God that is active every single day? If you do that, You will share with people in the world a greater truth than they can find in their pocket. If you do that, you might just be an evangelist after all. Thanks be to God. Amen.